Well, good morning, St. Mark. So I have a big question for you at the beginning of the message today, and it's simply this. What have you guys learned over the last 40 days? <laughs> Awkward silence. You know, you are some of the most brightest people I've ever met in my life, but it's funny when I ask you questions in the sermon. Uh, I was just, I'm just kidding. The reality is, my hope is that you've learned a ton as we've gone through the series, because it all wraps around this whole idea of what is God's purpose for us as we go through this life. These are big questions. These are big things. And and hopefully as we've gone through them, you've seen a lot of application for your life. What I thought would be kind of cool today, just to kind of jog your memories just a little bit, because I know we get caught up in life, is is to go through some of the big teachings, the big truths that we've learned as we've gone through the series and kind of just use that as a a wrap-up to the series. So again, I'll ask, what have we learned? One of the first things I think that we picked up along the series is simply this, that it's not about me, right? It's not about you. It's It's all about God. Now, I want you just to get a framework for this. When I say it's not about you, right? That means your purpose for this life. You know who's made it all about you? God. He sent his son for you to die on the cross so that you could be reconciled with him, so you could spend your eternity with him forever and ever and ever. God continues to pour into you strength and hope and peace and joy. He loves you so much. He's concerned about every step that you walk on this earth. He's concerned about everything that you go through in this earth. He's rooting for you. He loves you as the perfect father would. He does everything to make it about you so that you can make it about everybody else. It's one of the the big life principles that God has for us in this series. In Hebrews 2.10, it just says this, God is the one who made all things and all things are for his glory and he wanted to have many kids, many children share in that glory. Now, I think we've said this in almost every service since this whole series began, but it's essentially this. That is, the purpose for your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment. He's far greater, right? Your purpose is far greater than your own happiness. That the purpose of life is far greater than your own comfort or success or dreams or ambitions or goals. And I'll just say all those things are good. But all those things are not the purpose of your life. I know we get into this idea where God's kind of a vending machine. I don't know why we think that. We know he's the perfect father. And if you had the perfect father, none of us did. But if you had a good dad, you know that sometimes that good dad said no. And when he said no, it was frustrating. But he said no because he loves you, because he cares about you, because he wants what's best for you. God is the perfect dad and will always say no when something's better in store. But because we want what we want, because we live life and we just need it now, because we make everything about us, because we live in a me-saturated society, we kind of turn him into this vending machine. And if he doesn't give it to us, we get ornery, just like we were when we were kids. These are not the purpose of our life, though. Not according to Scripture, not according to God. And so you start asking, well, what is if these things aren't? Our world tells us that it's all about us. What do you mean it's about something else? The Bible says that the purpose of your life comes from the fact that you were made by God and for God. In other words, and I know it's almost crazy to contemplate in our world today, but life really isn't about you. It's about him. But until you understand that life's not going to make a whole lot of sense, I just promise you that you were made for God's purposes, not your own. You exist because God wanted you to exist for his reasons. You exist for God because he wants to spend his eternity with you. This is a fundamental truth that I think we all have to pick up at some point, right? And it just goes back, we talked about the whole purpose of history and that God created the universe because he wanted a family and then he wanted that family to live with him forever. 
In that verse that we just read, it said that he wanted many children to accompany him in that, right? To share in his glory. In other words, God wants you. Let me say that again. God wants you. I'm going to say it one more time. God wants you in that forever family. And he will do anything. He has done everything to secure that very thing. He wants you to be with him for eternity. He wants you to become one of his kids. And once you understand that, right, you begin to understand life. And you begin to understand life is not ultimately about you. It's about God. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16 that everything got started in him and everything finds its purpose in him. In other words, you're not going to find your purpose for life in a self-help book and you're not going to find your purpose for life in a book or online about how to be the best you you can be or how to do the best you can and, and, and how do you fulfill your goals and dreams and ambitions. Again, all good stuff. You're not going to find it on a talk show. You're only going to find it by talking to the creator of, the pers- of, of you, the creator of the universe. Because your purpose is wrapped up in him. You exist for God. But when you understand this, it really begins to transform life. That I don't have to make it about me because God makes it about me. And he pours into me to give me the strength and the perspective and the reason to help those people in my life. Why? So that they can see him too. So he can pour into them too. Why? So that we can be with him forever in heaven. Somebody wrote to Rick Warren after publishing his book, The Purpose Driven Life, which was the series was, a, it was kind of themed after And the person wrote this, after reading your book, my eyes have been opened to see how much of my emotional pain and my problems in relationships have all been caused by ignoring this basic truth. It's not about you. Since I've learned it, though, I've noticed that whenever I do act like it's all about me, I lose my happiness. I start worrying about my problems, and I get angry and resentful when people let me down, and I feel insecure when I'm criticized, jealous when I'm overlooked, guilty when I think about my own faults. I also become impatient with my kids and stubborn when I don't get my way. (laughs) I've discovered that the root of all these negative emotions, this worry, this guilt, this fear, this bitterness, this resentment, all have been because of my focus on me. Now, over the last five weeks since I've read your book, I've been trying to switch my focus off of me and onto God. So throughout the day, I repeat, it's not about me, it's all about God. And what a difference it's made. I've never been happier. I think we could stop with that testimony today, with that teaching, and I'll go home, and to be honest, because if we learn that, we've learned something significant about our purpose in this world. Because until you get this, that life is not ultimately about you, you're going to be miserable as you go through this life, because you're going to think it's always supposed to be about me. You're supposed to think that I'm supposed to be happy, and I'm supposed to be comfortable. It's all about my comfort, and my happiness, and my success, and my pleasure, and my fame. But here's the newsflash, it's not. It's about you one day being with him in heaven. Life is hard. God is good. And God's promise is he'll walk with you through this hard and difficult life until one day you're with him. But the difficulty doesn't mean he doesn't love you. The difficulty doesn't mean your purpose isn't being accomplished because it's really not about you. When you understand that, it's about God. All those negative emotions are going to be significantly reduced in your life. It's a very fundamental and powerful truth, and I hope you've gotten that as we've gone through the series. I've learned that God still does miracles. In Psalm 77, it says, you are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. Do you believe that? Because God does. 
God is still in the miracle business. He changes marriages. He changes lives. He changes situations. He's given this church opportunities to, in amazing ways. And, and hopefully in the coming months and years, we can see those come to fulfillment. He's bringing people to faith. I'm telling you, if you realize that life isn't all about you, that it's all about him, we see more clearly that he's working in this world in powerful ways. I know when we, we watch the news, we think everything's going to hell in a handbasket, right? You can say hell in church because I'm a pastor, right? But, but the reality is, we, that's what we think, but, but the reality is, God is doing extraordinary things today. He's saving people's marriages. He's reconciling relationships that were broken. He's healing people, not just physically, but emotionally, from their pain, from their past, from all sorts of struggles. He's giving them strength to deal with stuff in the future. God is continually doing extraordinary things in our world. He's a miracle-working God, and that the takeaway, hopefully, that you got is that nothing is impossible for him. I've learned that life is preparation for eternity. In fact, if somebody asked you, what is the meaning of life? I can't think of a better three-word answer than that, that life is preparation for eternity. Because someday, I don't know if it's this week, next week, next month, next year, somebody's going to ask you that question in some form. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? What are you going to answer? It's preparation for eternity. That's why God put us on this earth to prepare us for what he's going to do and for what he's going to do and how he's going to love us in eternity. And the takeaway here is that it's more than just the here and now, that if you're just living for today, you're missing out on a bigger point. You're missing out on God's purpose for your life. You're missing out on the big stuff. And we all know that there's more than the here and now, at least internally, most of us get that because God made us to get that. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says God has planted eternity in the human heart. He put it in the hearts of man so that they would know that there was something more. And once you understand that it's more than just the here and now, that you are made to last forever, then nothing, I mean nothing in this world can steal your sense of significance from you. Nothing in this world can tell you that you're worthless because you realize that God has handpicked you to spend eternity with him and that makes you significant just there. No matter what somebody says to you, no matter what somebody's done to you, no matter what you do to yourself, when you put your hands into the hands of God, you're putting it into the hands of God. He says, I want you to be in my forever family. I want you to be with me forever. I want to work in your life for all of eternity. I tell you, that solves a lot of problems in life, especially in the area of significance. It proves you're significant. It changes your perspective on the way things are going. It gives you a sense of what real priorities are because all of a sudden you're working for heaven instead of just for tomorrow. You're not as caught up in the issues of today because you know the issue that really matters is that one day you'll be with him. The issue in the relationship that you, with the people you have isn't about keeping things PC, but it's about getting them one day to heaven and taking some time, some risks to say things that might actually help them get there. It's playing for a different game, right? It's playing for heaven instead of for the now. We've learned that, there are pur- that we were put here on earth for five purposes. And we've talked about these again and again through the series. In fact, it's been kind of the center of what we've talked about in this Purpose Driven Life series. In Proverbs 16, 4, it says this, The Lord has made everything for his purposes. And these purposes are so important, right, that we should never forget them. We need to balance them in the rest of our lives. And so let's review them just again so you guys remember, right? I was planned for God's pleasure. And there's a word for that in the Bible. It just means worship, right? It means I'm going to love God back for all the amazing things he's given me. I'm going to receive from him the love that he has for me. I was formed for God's family. There's a word for that in the Bible too. It's called fellowship. I was created to become like Christ, 
word for that in the Bible is discipleship. I was shaped to serve. There's a Bible word for that too. It's ministry. I was made for a mission. Bible word for that is evangelism. I need to share with my friends about this amazing God that I have. Those are the purposes of life. That's why God put us on this planet. It's why we're still breathing. And the reality is it doesn't matter what's happened in your life up to this point. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you are. Your life is not an accident. And right now, God has purpose for your life. And he cares about your life. No matter what's happened, his call for you is to live for him. We've learned that we are, we are to grow through commitments, that it takes a whole lot more than just coming to church uh, to grow spiritually. That you can come to church your entire life, right? The rest of your life and still be a spiritually immature baby when you die, right? Because it takes a whole lot more than just sitting and listening to the messages, which hear me say are super important and helps us remember when you come to church, you get the means of grace, you get the communion, you get to be forgiven over and over and over. You're reminded of that incredible gift that God has given you. You're reminded of his promises. It's awesome. But if you never do anything, anything with those doesn't do you any good we are saved by grace through faith faith is an action word not we are not saved by grace through knowledge we are saved by grace through faith trusting what it is that we say that we believe it's so important in James 2, it says, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. In other words, we've got to act on it, and it starts with our commitments. Let me give you an example that I used this Wednesday morning in the Bible class. <clears throat> and I want you to put yourself into this scenario. You are riveted. I, I mean, riveted on the message of the day, right? God is speaking to you, doing incredible things. You're hanging on every word of the pastor. No, it's still at this church. But, but you're doing this, right? You're just fascinated. And all of a sudden... In the midst of that engaging time with the Lord, you know, all of a sudden there's a baby behind that starts, you know, piping up, starts cooing, right? Starts making some noise like this lovely child right here. And I love to death that you're here today, by the way, right? It's awesome. And you're going to help my point. It's going to be awesome. But the reality is you have a choice at that moment, right? You have a choice to get a little bit bitter and consume yourself with frustration because all of a sudden you're not connected to what God was trying to share with you and you can make it all about you, you can be frustrated or you can make it all about you, get frustrated a little bit and bitter and then embitter the person behind you, right? So that they never come back. Why would you do that? Or you can use everything that you've heard in that sermon up to that point, everything that you've heard in sermons throughout your whole life, all the Bible reads, and apply that love and that compassion toward the people that are in your midst and rejoice that that baby's in our midst. Rejoice that in a world that's walking away from Jesus, he's here. Rejoice that from the very beginning of this kid's life, right, he gets to know Jesus. To apply the stuff that we've been hearing and learning instead of making it what? All about us. At some point, we've got to learn to apply the stuff that we say we believe so important. That starts with our commitments. Another thing we learn is that we grow through fellowship. God's plan for your life involves other people. In other religions, who's the most spiritual person? The person that goes to the top of the mountain in seclusion, right? Studies and studies and studies and then submits all these amazing sayings to his people, right? Or to the people, I don't know whose people, the other people, right? So that they can learn from his incredible wisdom. But God says that's not holiness. That's not spirituality. The only way you can be spiritually mature and holy is to get with other people because our faith in God, right? Our life is all about love. And if there's nobody in your life to love, then you're doing it wrong. And there's no way you can practice, right? This whole idea of love. It's the whole example, right? Are you gonna use the stuff that you've learned to love people 
Or are you just gonna keep it in your head as knowledge? Of course, the most important thing that you could probably do, or the next step for a lot of you in, in taking this next step of faith to really grow in God is, is just a small group, right? I mean, worship in a small group, and, and there's so many amazing things with it. You grow in the Lord, and spiritually, it's an incredible thing, but there's also this ability now to learn to love people that are in your midst and to receive love from them, and to really experience what the church is, in truth is supposed to be about, a caring community that cares in depth about your life, where it's not just the pastor now, but it's a whole bunch of other people that care about what's going on in your life. This fall, remarkably, we've seen more than ever before, people join up to a small group. To the point now that over half our church is committed to being in a small group at our church. In Philippians 4, it says, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, he says, keep on doing it. Why would you stop doing the things that help you the most. Let me apply that a little bit more. How many of you guys know that being in God's word, reading the Bible every day would be a good thing? Anybody not know that? Everybody knows that, right? I, I won't ask how many are doing it, right? But, but the reality is why would we not do the things that would help us the most? Financially, you know tithing is probably one of the most helpful things that you could do for your financial world because of all the promises in scripture that say that he'll bless it beyond you can understanding, right? Open up the storehouses of heaven. Do we get that? I won't ask you how many of you are doing it, but why do we not do the things that we know would help us the most? How about prayer? Why do we use it as a Hail Mary at the end when we're freaking out instead of at, at the beginning as we're walking through the process? Again, I won't ask you how many many of you are doing it, but why do we not do the things that we know will help us the most? These are kind of Christian sins, right? The things that we don't trust God with that we should because we know it would make life better. Why would we not do the things that help us the most? The fact is that fellowship is a place of growth. It's where we come together and learn to love on each other, learn to experience that love in powerful ways. And I don't know a better place to experience fellowship than at St. Mark, and you know why, and I know I'm a little biased, but I think you guys are really cool. I really, I really, really do. I'm amazed at how much fun it is to hang out with you, and I, and I wish all of you could experience that. Lastly, you learn that you need to be start putting into practice the stuff that we say that we've learned. Why? Because you can learn the purposes of God in the last 40 days but it's gonna take the rest of your life to learn to implement them, to learn them, to assimilate them, to embody them into your life. It's gonna take the rest of your life. In John 13, it says this, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them, right? The blessing does not come in knowing the purposes of God. The blessing comes in doing the purposes of God, putting your hands and your feet into action and actually doing them. In Ephesians 5, it says, live life with a due sense of responsibility, not as those who do not know the meaning of life, but as those who do. He says, you now have more responsibility because you know better. That's what God says to you guys today. You can't go back to living the selfish life. You can't say, well, this was great, Pastor, but I'm going to go back and live for my retirement. And I'm going to go back and live for my success, or I'm going to live for pleasure, I'm going to live for sex, or I'm going to live for being popular, or I'm going to live for making more money, or I'm going to live for being famous. No. You can't do that now because God holds you responsible. You know better. He says you know the meaning of life now. You can't act as if you don't. You can't pretend as if you don't know better. That you were planned for God's pleasure so you have worship. That you were formed for God's family so you have fellowship with other believers. That you know you were created to become like Christ so you have to grow up and mature and develop your character. 
that you know you're saved to serve God, and so you have to use your talents and, and care for other people to help other people out and not just make a lot of money. That you know you were made for mission, so you've got to share the good news, right? So Because your, your big aim is playing for heaven, and your big aim, if you're playing for heaven, is having those that you love, right? Especially, they're with you. You can't act as if nothing's happened. Because now you know the meaning of life. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we love, love you so much for walking through this process with us, for opening up our eyes in many ways to understanding the purpose of life. I think sometimes we just get so overwhelmed by that kind of stuff, and yet, Lord, you've shared it with us as we walk through this series. And one of the biggest things is it's not really about us, which is hard for us because we grew up in a me-centric society where they tell us it's all about us all the time, but, but Father, you've made it about us. You've forgiven us. You've restored us. You pour into us strength and hope and peace continually. You give us strength to deal with situations as we walk through life. You're a God that continues to care on us and love us until we're with you in heaven. Father, let us receive that strength that only seems to come when we remember. When we remember that you got us. When we remember the promises that you're there. Remember in the midst of the difficulty that you still care. Then, it seems like it's only then that we're washed over with a sense of that peace and your love and your care. Father, let us use what you pour into us to care for the people around us. Let us use what you pour into us to accomplish the purpose that you've set out for us. Let us use what you've poured into us to show your love to this world. And we pray that today knowing that you hear us in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.